Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and we continue with our birth stories for the summer series. Today's story comes from Jessica Winquist, who was determined to have a vaginal birth, even though her daughter was breached. As it turns out, pregnancy ended up being the most stressful part of her whole experience. Stay tuned to check out her breach home birth story. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Aeroflow Breast Pumps, a durable medical equipment provider specializing in helping moms receive maximum coverage and reimbursement for breast pump through insurance. Let Aeroflow take the hassle out of getting the pump that's right for you. Learn more at aeroflowbreastpumps.com slash birthful. This episode of Birthful is also brought to you by Expectful, an evidence-based guide meditation app created specifically for those trying to conceive, pregnant, or new moms. Reduce your stress, reduce your complications, and improve your connection to your baby and partner. Learn more and sign up for a two-week free trial at expectful.com slash birthful. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Mamas and Mamas-to-be and Mighty Dads and Dads-to-be. Thank you for listening and also for all the love you give the show through your ratings and reviews and just by telling your pregnant friends about the podcast. Keep on doing that. And if you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, even if that's not how you usually listen to it because it does really help. Quick shout-outs to Herox, Jane Marie, RM Hand, Laura, and Rachel for their recent reviews. Thank you so very much. All right, before we get into today's birth story, a friendly reminder that if you are pregnant, you are probably going to want to prepare for having a baby and not just for having a birth, which is what often ends up happening. Don't get home with your baby thinking, and now what do we do? Check out my Thrive With Your Newborn online pe- online postpartum preparation course at birthfulcourses.com. It's five weeks of relevant content, and with lifetime access, you can easily go back and review what you need after the baby arrives arrives. Yay! All right. My guest today is Jessica Winquist, who is here to tell us about her breach home birth. Jessica, welcome. I am so happy that you are here to tell us about your story. Yes, I am so excited to be here. Yay. So, it breach, like, <laughs> I don't even know where to go in. I'm so excited. I don't even know how to start. because. <laughs> so my personal experience is I did have my baby was breached for quite a while. Um, and this was 12 years ago, right? And so she mm-hmm. was breached and I worked, did different things to turn her and I ended up having a, an external cephalic version. Cephalic version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an ECV, which did work. She did. Great. Yes. So that kind of took away the the angst and the having to even mm-hmm. consider what if she didn't turn. But um, I don't want to get ahead of myself in your story. Why don't you tell us a little bit more of how your pregnancy went and um, and tell us about you. Let's start with that. Who are you? <laughs> so my name is Jessica and I have two beautiful little girls, Dahlia, who is my breech baby and Sage, who was born in January and was head down. I both were born at home. Both were uneventful births in regards to the actual birthing process. And both of the pregnancies were also uneventful. Um, 
during Dahlia's birth, I would say I was a little bit more physically active. So I ran a lot and did yoga. I tried to stay as healthy as possible with eating, although, you know, pregnancy cravings. And so uh, when Dahlia was breech at when we found out that she was breech at 31 weeks, she was measuring small. I was right on track with weight gain. My amniotic fluid was great. And none of those things mattered because she was breech. Right. <laughs> so I don't know if you want me to just dive yeah. into. All right. Well, well do you want to? Yeah, because I think the things that you do now, a lot of them have and, and how things have come up in your life have to do with this journey. So well, we can mark them yes, as, I, as it goes. Yeah. I would definitely say that Dahlia being breech has impacted my advocacy you know, where I make donations, who I support, and even being very outspoken about my birth story. When Dahlia was born and um, my, I think it was my mother asked if I was going to share any details of her birth with my family, I looked at her like she was crazy. Like, what do you want me to tell them? And um, was it because you were you didn't want to tell anybody anything or were no, I just I felt like it was so personal uh -huh. and you know what am I going to tell my grandmother about me being in pain and pushing out a baby in my bedroom I just didn't really know what what I would exactly share with people but since then that is exactly what I share you know if people want to hear the details of Dahlia's birth they want to hear the details of Sage's birth I am so happy to talk to them about it and to explain why home birth is a safe option and was the best option for me and my husband and our two girls. Yeah, and I'm really happy that you've sort of flipped on that idea and now you're here <laughs> and this is not the only place where you've publicly shared your story. So thank you for doing that because I do think, you know, we were talking a little bit before uh, we started recording and you were saying how 4% of births are breach. Yes. And yes. that's, that's a big statistic. It is. It's not an insignificant number. And having a breech baby doesn't mean that anything is wrong. You know, nothing is wrong with the baby, with their ability to be born vaginally. It's just that studies came out in the 80s. And then there was a study in 2001 that essentially said that it wasn't safe to deliver a breech baby vaginally or just that it was much safer to do a C-section and why would you not choose the safer option? And that essentially shut down med schools teaching about breech deliveries and the consequences of that to me have just been catastrophic. Mm. And it's kind of the crux of the problem because it is just a birth, but you do need to have some skills and if nobody's teaching you those skills specific to the breach presentation, then there's that, right? Like just like a, an external version. I find that doctors who kind of believe in it, I feel comfortable with it and do a lot of them have really great success rates. Mm -hmm. um, and and then docs who don't who don't quite practice, you know, do it and it's not a skill set they feel comfortable with then their success rate tends to be lower on it. Um, and I can understand that we've created a sort of a hesitation and a fear around the the breach presentation so that it takes quite a bit for a provider to become comfortable with 
that reality, aside from all the litigious um, possibilities that, you know, and fears that surround our our culture. Yes. And I, I can't even pretend to be an expert on breach birth. You know, I've never gone to any classes on it. I'm not a midwife. I'm not even in any way a birth worker. And so I know that a lot goes into breach delivery that I'm really not even aware of. To me, I don't, to me, it wasn't any different than if Dahlia had been head down. My husband jokes that my midwife didn't even have to put down her coffee. Nice. Because (laughs) Dahlia was born on her own. You know, no one touched her. Honestly, it's more dangerous to touch her in case she takes a breath um, in utero when her body is out and her head is still inside. It would be more dangerous to touch her. You don't want to pull her. That would extend her neck. Like you just are hands off. Mm-hmm. And so no one touched her when she was being born and she just was born on her own, which to me is, you know, not any different than a baby being head down. It's just that the risk is that the head could get stuck. Right. And I, I don't really know if the problem is with epidurals, that if you're in a bed in a position that's not natural and trying to push out a breech baby, maybe the head does get stuck more often. I honestly, it's not even something I know about because that wasn't what my plan was. So it wasn't something I researched. Right. And, and yeah, and I, the little that I've researched, because again, I, and I'm not a, a doctor and I don't play one in any way, on TV mm-hmm. or anywhere else, um, is that um, as the, once the baby, the head, the, ba- the body is out, the head is larger, right? So mm-hmm. there's this, if, if you tense up, if for some reason mom tense up and the perineal muscles sort of contract, it can, you know, so if you're stressed, if you're anxious, if something, if you're feeling flight or, f- or, f- or that flight or flight response, yeah. then there's there's a timing situation it's more about minutes right of because the cord is is it means you know pinched um and it's the placenta still in but the umbilical you know the the connection is is out and how does that you know it's a little bit of just physical logistics so you Mm -hmm. really need uh, you once the head the the body's out sorry um you have a timing concern right yeah this is what I understand from it. Again, yeah, not, yeah, I think that's really interesting. But it wasn't an issue with Dahlia, right. and I think that um, I just can't speak to anyone else's situation. So if other people's babies are breached and they don't feel personally comfortable with uh, delivering a breech baby vaginally, then I have no issue with people opting for a C-section. Really, my main issue and the reason for my advocacy is that the choice was taken away from me. That when she was breached, even though I was planning a home birth and my provider was uh, happy with how my pregnancy was going, when she was breached, it wasn't, there wasn't just a, oh, well, she's breached, so she would be delivered slightly differently. Let's talk about the risks and make sure you're comfortable. Like, that wasn't the conversation. The conversation was, you need to go for an ultrasound now. We need to figure out exactly what position this baby is in. We need to flip her. And that Mm -hmm. just caused so much anxiety and fear that my third trimester from when we found out that she was breech at 31 weeks until she was born at 38 weeks 
uh, or really, I guess, a few days before that when my midwife agreed to deliver her breech, which is its own. I'll get into that. But for that entire seven-week period, I pretty much cried the entire time. Mm. <laughs> you know, it was terrible. I Every waking moment, me and my husband researched what we could do to flip her, what providers might attend breech deliveries. We, we, if there was something we could research, we researched it. If there was a person we could call, we called them. And it was really unacceptable in my book that there was no, that the choice to have a breech delivery wasn't even on the table because my CNM had no breech experience. And, you know, when you, like you said, you have no experience with it, you're more afraid of it. So she wasn't willing to say, it's fine, the baby's breech. We'll deliver her breech if that's what it ends up being because she had never attended a breech birth. And that would be pretty irresponsible, honestly, for her to just say, it's no- it's nothing, you know? Right, to be um, blasé about it. No. Yeah. But, so walk us through that seven-week journey in terms of when you found out that she was breached and what, you know, how did you get to a place where you you created an informed choice for yourself and 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 informed yourself to decide that this was the course of action for you guys so at my 31 week appointment which was in my home because my home birth midwife only she always came to your home now her practice is a little bit different but uh, at the time she didn't have an office for people to come to so she was at my home and she felt my stomach like normal. And she said, you know, I think the baby's breech. And my husband normally was at all of my appointments, but he couldn't be at that one. So he was actually on speakerphone. And she said, the baby's breech. And my husband said, I'm, I'm coming. I'm coming home. Because he knew that that was my fear. And, you know, part of me still thinks maybe whatever your your greatest fear is, is what will come true, that I shouldn't have focused so much on that being my fear. Because I knew that her being breached was the only thing that could stand in the way of my home birth. Unless, you know, obviously, there are other things that can go wrong that I would have addressed. And um, there are other reasons why you would obviously transfer to a hospital based birth. But from in my mind, breach was the main concern because my blood pressure was great. I didn't have gestational diabetes. I was, I was working out. Everything about my pregnancy was picture perfect. And so the only thing in my head was if she was breach, that would ruin it. And so when my midwife said she was breach, my husband immediately said, I'm coming home. I'll be, I'll be there as soon as I can. And so, you know, it makes me feel upset even to think about it right now because I just, I just burst into tears. Mm. (laughs) I was just so upset. And my midwife said, it's early. It's only 31 weeks. We'll get this baby to turn. And I just, in my heart knew that she wasn't going to turn. She was never an active baby. She Mm. was active enough. She was normal, but she didn't flip around. She didn't kick me hard. I didn't feel her swimming around. Like she was a very calm in utero baby. Right. There were no and, somersaults. Right. And yeah. I just felt like if she's breech, she's going to stay breech. And, but even with that thought in my head, 
obviously I was going to do everything I could possibly think of to try to flip her. So I didn't actually say that um, we lived in New York City and we lived in Astoria in Queens and the resources for this type of thing are endless when you're in a big city. So I immediately saw a chiropractor who specializes in the Webster technique. Her name's Shari Wagwright and she was sweet and helpful and kind and willing to see me three times a week and work with me on my insurance. So if anyone is in New York City and needs someone certified in Webster, I definitely recommend Dr. Wagwright. I can give you the link to her website too. Sure. Um, And so she said that my hips were out of alignment and that's why I was having so much hip pain. And so she was trying to work with me on my hips. I went for acupuncture, which I love the woman who the woman who did my acupuncture. Her name's Stephanie Proper, and she was willing to come to my home. She dropped everything to come to my house when my water broke to try to help me get labor started. She got a babysitter for her son. She, I mean, just really the people that I saw to help me try to flip the baby were just wonderful, all of them. I, saw, I even saw a woman who did Reiki to try to focus my energy mm-hmm. to get the baby to turn. I tried it all. Obviously, moxibustion, the Chinese herbs. Um, I went for tons of prenatal massages to try to loosen up my muscles that potentially were keeping the baby in the position she was in. We went for a lot of ultrasounds to make sure that my fluid was good and that she was measuring good and, um, you know, all of the things that medically might have been problematic and nothing was problematic. It really was just that she didn't want to turn. Right. And so then it was like a completely non-eventful pregnancy at that point, suddenly, like very sudden, got turned into something that was quite anxiety producing and right. and required a lot of intervention even though nothing was wrong <laughs> right right exactly and i'm a anxiety prone person and part of the reason that i was planning a home birth was because i have white coat syndrome i feel so much anxiety at doctors offices <laughs> usually if i have to see a doctor i ask them if they can take my blood pressure at the end because if they take it at the beginning they're going to think i need to be hospitalized my blood pressure goes so high mm-hmm. So just that I had to see a maternal fetal specialist and uh, scheduling the ECV to try to flip her, those things caused so much anxiety, but I just, you know, had to deal with it. I had to swallow it and do it because it scared me even more to think about having a C-section and that hospital stay and those doctors who I didn't know who I would then have to transfer care to, that was beyond what I could comprehend. So I just told myself one step at a time, you're going to deal with seeing the maternal fetal specialist. You're going to deal with going into the hospital to try to turn the baby. And we'll just, you know, one step at a time. Don't let your anxiety get ahead of you. Yeah. And And Jessica, I'm going to interrupt you for a second because we're going to take a break. Um, But when we come back, I do want to hear about. So after doing all these things and weeks going by and baby still not turning, then, you know, what did that look like and what did your decision process become? We'll be right back. Mighty Ones, here's something you don't know. 
I get headaches. Sometimes they're hormonal, sometimes they're migraine, sometimes they're tension or sinus related. Most often than not, though, they're a massive and nasty combination of these things that ebbs and flows for days. So just this morning, while trying to keep a recurring migraine at bay, I set up my Reverie power bed to the zero G setting and then hit the full body massage. The massage has different settings, and as I was starting my meditation, I systematically turned the massage down to the lowest setting, which made the sound and motion slower and deeper. You would not believe how much this helped me reach a more profound relaxation fast. After 15 minutes, my head was much better, and my body was super relaxed. I can totally see why Reverie Power Beds have won the Women's Choice Award for six years straight and why over 98% of women who have one would recommend them. They are just so much more than a bed. Learn more and get your own at momsneedsleep.com slash birthful. And don't forget to add the slash birthful part so they know who sent you. And we're back. So tell me about about the the after baby you know you tried all these things and baby didn't flip Mm -hmm. what then so we looked into our options for delivering her breach because my husband thankfully was on the same page as me he continues to be my hugest supporter and advocate and you know if my spouse wasn't on the same page as me you know, obviously things might've turned out very differently. And so we, there was, there is one doctor who is an OB who delivers in a hospital in Manhattan. He does not take insurance and his fee starts at 15,000. To deliver a breach. Yes. Uh And he, and the initial consultation is 500 non-refundable. He might say you're not a good candidate and, and that's the end of that. So we considered that, uh, which, you know, I feel like we are very fortunate to financially have had all of these options, which is another part of my advocacy that I think that it's terrible that money can buy choices. Hmm. If, if we didn't have the financial means to look into this doctor, to pay out of pocket for our CNM, to pay for the Reiki and the chiropractor and the acupuncture, then, then what? Then we would have just scheduled the cesarean because we wouldn't have had any other option. Right. So, but so anyway, uh, there's a doctor who delivers breach. He doesn't accept insurance. He costs 15,000 and there's a midwife in the Hudson Valley, uh, which was about two hours, two and a half hours from where we were living in Astoria who does breach births at her, I guess I would say her office. It's kind of like a birthing center. It's a house that has a bed and and kind of space for a laboring woman to feel comfortable Mm -hmm. and is across the street from a hospital. And so she has attended many breach births without incident. But if there was a reason to transfer, it's very easy to just walk across the street. And then our other option was convincing our CNM that she could do this, <laughs> that my body was capable of it. And there was no reason for me to have to have a C-section or to have to pay this money to another doctor or to another CNM that she had, uh, she had attended courses on breech birth and 
she had done tons of research while we knew Dahlia was breached and while she didn't feel comfortable attending the birth herself alone at the time, she uh, contacted another local midwife who had attended numerous breach births uh, in another country uh, before moving to America. And she was willing to be kind of the second midwife to attend my birth with my midwife so that my midwife would feel comfortable Mm -hmm. with someone else having that knowledge in the room, I guess you would say. And I think it's so important to, you know, what you're painting a picture of is if we always talk about the importance of having a team that is both capable and extremely supportive of, of mm-hmm. the wishes and, and, and you know, the informed choice that the, the parents make. Um, and I give kudos to your midwife for, you know, getting to a place and I'm sure, you know, making her own informed decision and deciding whether, yes, I can honestly say this is a safe thing for me to do or not, right? Of, of willing to even have that conversation. Yes. Yes, you know, I uh, am a trained attorney, but I no longer practice. I stay home with my girls and I am a baker at Milk Mama Bake Shop. I sell lactation cookies. Ah, yes, were, the, were del- you baking lactation cookies during oh, yes. your birth? Yes, yes, that's birth? exactly what I was making. And I made her a zero birthday cake. <laughs> and we sang happy birthday and stressed the birth part of it. <laughs> we need to get into these juicy, beautiful details of this story. <laughs> yes. So uh, my midwife, she wasn't comfortable with it initially, but as a trained attorney, I can argue my points. <laughs> and so when I to the CNM, who was based in the Hudson Valley, she was actually going to be on vacation, a planned vacation out of state mm. from, I think, I think her vacation started on September. No, she was getting back on September 20th and I was due on the 27th. And like I explained, I thought that the baby would be early because I was born at 37 weeks. My brother was born at 36 weeks. And I just didn't think that I was going to have a baby that went full term or overdue. I was kind of in my head planning on her coming at 37 or 38 weeks. And so the CNM in the Hudson Valley was going to be away until the 20th. And so that would essentially mean I had to hold the baby in until 39 weeks. And that, that to me was not going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I called my midwife again, probably for the 50th time <laughs> to just plead with her that you can do this. The CNM in the Hudson Valley says the only thing stopping you from attending my breach birth is fear and that you are a trained CNM with decades of experience and don't let your fear stand in the way from gaining this experience. And if you want to talk to the CNM in the Hudson Valley, then she is more than happy to talk to you. And if you want to talk to other midwives who have attended breach births, I have a friend in Atlanta whose uh, birth center attends breach deliveries. They are willing to talk to you, but you, you really need to reconsider and you really need to just examine for yourself if what's making you say no to me is purely your own fear or if it's actually that you think that it's not safe. Mm. And so you kind of wore her down. <laughs> yes, I literally I wore her down. My father says that I am relentless. He calls me relentless Jess. 
So I was relentless because I didn't have any other option. I needed her to agree to it or I needed to deliver in a hospital with this doctor who I had never met. So nothing about that sounded great. Right. Right. I, I have a fear of hospitals. I'd never met this doctor. And I didn't even know if he was actually going to agree to deliver Dahlia. So uh, really my only option was to convince my midwife. And she knew that. She, you know, she knew that if she didn't agree, I was going to have to schedule the C-section. And I think maybe it's something unique to home births, maybe because all of my visits with her were at home in multiple hours. But she really was like family. And now she really literally as literally as can be possible without me actually adopting her, her adopting me, she's part of our family. And so it hurt her also to think about me having to have a C-section because the baby was breech and all of the other factors that showed that it was safe for her to be born at home. And that the only thing standing in my way was that she was butt first, mm -hmm. which I also think is important to maybe distinguish that she was frank breech, meaning that her butt was engaged and her legs were up by her face, which is the safest, if you will, form of a breech presentation. If her feet were first, then it would be more likely that her umbilical cord could get uh, crushed or tangled in a way that would be really dangerous for her. Um, and so if she had been feet first I honestly we could be having a different conversation or not even having a conversation because I might have scheduled the c-section you know I was going to do what was safest I just felt that her being born at home was safe mm -hmm. right and it's so such a if, luck of the draw right that she was front right, breach yeah right so yeah. yes if she had been another type of breach presentation I, I might have made an entirely different decision I was doing what to me felt safest what felt best for me and for my child. My husband was entirely on board with uh, how I felt. He's not an anxious person. He's a very logical person. Um, and in his research, the more he researched, the more he felt that, yes, this is what's right. There's no reason to not have our baby at home. And so... So walk uh, us like fast forward to that day okay. when your water broke. <laughs> yeah. So I, I feel like the birth itself is just really the most anticlimactic and unimportant part of my story. I know, almost. but you were baking cookies. I know, I know. <laughs> so I made cookies. So my water broke um, the, the night that she was exactly 38 weeks. And it was only three days before my water broke that my midwife said, okay, fine. You wore me down. I'll do it. Aha. Uh -huh. like, you must have done such a happy dance when that yes. happened. <laughs> oh, my God. I said to her, can I put this in writing? You're not going to change your mind. And she said, we don't need to put it in writing. I am not going to change my mind. Mm. And the, the relief, I can't even describe. And I think that that's really what told my body, okay, now it's safe. Now you can go into labor because I really think she would have been born sooner than 38 weeks. Sage was born at 37 weeks. Exactly on her 37 week day um so I really think that Dahlia would have been born sooner if if I had felt comfortable but it wasn't until three days before my water broke that my midwife said let's do it mm -hmm. and so uh, my water broke at like 11 45 at night on a Saturday night which was exactly 38 weeks and nothing nothing happened I didn't have any contractions 
I it's really funny because I went to the bathroom, which you know, pregnant women pee like every ten minutes. And so I peed and then it just didn't stop. And I was like, Chris, my husband, I, I, I think I think my water broke and he was like, What? What makes you think your water broke? I'm like, I don't know. My water I've never had a water break before, but it's not stopping. <laughs> He's like, Well, I've never had a water break before either. I don't know. So we were like both like kind of frantic, like, what do we do? And I didn't know, like, can I just get up off the toilet even though I'm dripping? What do you do in this situation? Right. And so I had him bring me my phone while I'm sitting on the toilet and I called my midwife and she said, you know, if you're not having any contractions and it's just a trickle, you're probably not going to go into labor tonight. You should get some sleep and call me in the morning or call me if things do pick up. And she, we left it at that. And so how am I going to get to sleep when my water kind of sort of broke? And I mean, at least enough that I'm like peeing myself slowly. <laughs> right, right. And, and so excited, right? Also adrenaline so going through excited. and like, oh, what's happening? And I was so excited that I was, that my midwife was on board, that everything was going to be okay. I felt totally safe and that everything was going to be okay. And so, yeah, it was just pure excitement. So, of course, my husband is able to fall asleep. I maybe slept an hour. I don't even know if I actually slept. I was just so excited. But I wasn't having any contractions. So it wasn't that anything was keeping me awake other than my brain just pinging. (laughs) This is is happening. I'm having a baby. And so my husband says that I did the meanest thing I could have done. I called my mother (laughs) and woke her before going to sleep before attempting to go to sleep and told her what does that mean broke. because you like took your all your excitement and, and worries and put it on her and now she couldn't sleep what, what yeah, was yes, that exactly. <laughs> yes exactly so then she couldn't sleep and so my mom started making muffins she made quiches I don't even know and my parents live four hours away and so my mom baked and then packed the car and then got on the road <laughs> and so she also didn't sleep all night uh, which, you know, I could have just waited to the morning until the morning to call her. That would have been the nicer thing. And in retrospect, you sure, wouldn't I have, had have the done quiches. that. But, no. <laughs> right. I wouldn't have had the muffins or the quiches. And my mom wouldn't have gotten there nearly as early. But when she arrived at my house, I answered the door and I was just like, um, hi, mom. I'm, I, I mean, I, I didn't know you were coming this early in the morning. And she's like, what? I thought you were in labor. I'm like, no. No, nothing's happening. I'm uh, baking a cake. You want to come in? (laughs) And so there was just a lot of nothing going on. I wasn't having any contractions. Um, I would say around 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I started feeling a little bit, like some maybe small contractions. And I knew that it wasn't nearly enough, that I, I needed to get the show on the road because... I didn't want to add having my water broken for over 24 hours Mm. to my midwife's concerns. And so I called Stephanie, the acupuncturist, and she got a babysitter for her son and immediately came over, which is just amazing. And she did some serious acupuncture. She said I had a really high pain threshold because she was like twisting needles in my legs. And I was like, that's fine. You can do that harder. (laughs) Because I wanted to get labor going. I didn't right. want her to be gentle at all. It's like, bring on the pain already. <laughs> and, yeah. I was like, come on, just twist that needle in that muscle if you think that's going to bring on contractions. <laughs> um, so she stayed for, I would say, over an hour, an hour and a half. 
and she left needles in my legs. Mm-hmm. She left two needles. She taped them in, which it seems like maybe that's a common practice because my midwives, after Dahlia was born, just as part of their cleanup, took out the needles and felt like they were familiar with this happening. <laughs> to me, I thought it was really kind of crazy that I was just going to walk around with needles in me all I've day. never seen like the full needles <laughs> on, but I've seen little Accutax, which are like itty bitty, like stick, almost like a tiny square band-aid that has a small point on it that you can't like you know it can't go very deep but but that's more for acute like assisted acupuncture yeah yeah yes i mean it was one of those acupuncture long needles okay yeah and she just poked it in where she thought it would start labor and then she taped it on and she said now go walk really far because you need to irritate this Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so that's what me and my husband did we went to the pharmacy I have no idea. Oh, we bought castor oil. That's why we went to the pharmacy. And we went to the diner to pick up some dinner. And at the pharmacy, I felt a little bit more of a gush. And so at the diner, I went to the bathroom and I had lost my mucus plug. So I was really excited. Yes, this means things are happening. Yes. (laughs) And um, then we walked home from the diner, which, you know, living in Astoria... Everything is kind of close. It's a city, but I would say we walked probably a mile. And then we went up to our roof deck of our apartment building, and I just walked laps around the roof deck. And it was beautiful. I sent you some pictures that it was at sunset. I was really calm and happy. My mother was taking a nap in my apartment so everyone was just calm there was nothing there was no anxiety at least expressed to me you know after Mm -hmm. the fact my mom said that she was totally scared (laughs) but that's normal for a mom and I'm glad she kept that to herself until after (laughs) so around 11 o'clock at night I called my doula who I haven't mentioned up to this point but I think having a doula is integral to any sort of successful birth story. I was going to say, I thought, like, up yes, to now, I thought I you did didn't have a doula. Her, yeah. It's terrible that I did not mention her. Her name's Emily Landry, and I wish that she was still in New York, but she actually moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma. I actually know Emily. She's, you do? I love Emily. Oh, I love her. Shout out to Emily. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so she uh, came over around 1130 at night, and at that point, I would say contractions were about three minutes apart and painful but still not they weren't so painful that I was I don't know I didn't think I was going to be pushing a baby out in an hour or anything Mm -hmm. Um, but I felt like it was a good time for her to come because my husband was really tired I had woken him up at six o'clock in the morning that day he was like, are you having contractions? Like, no, I'm just bored. Can you just get up? <laughs> uh, he didn't like that. <laughs> I love now, but I really want to point out that all this uneventfulness of early labor 
is really like that's is that boring and like I'm too bored nothing's happening and I can't sleep like let's do something that's totally I, I always tell people just ignore it until you cannot ignore it anymore right yeah and I also want to point out for <laughs> listeners like another thing that they might you guys aren't going crazy you are hearing birds over on Jessica's side and you oh, are hearing sorry. thunderstorms on my side <laughs> <laughs> I don't Sorry, know if you that, can hear my thunder. Really annoying. Oh no, my, I love hearing the birds, but okay. I, I'm here listening to my own thundering and going like, "This oh, wow. is weird." So, just so you know, <laughs> listeners, that's what's going on. That's so funny. Yeah, and since we took like kind of took a little break right here, I am going to take a proper break, um, and we'll be right back. Are you planning on getting a breast pump? Let Aeroflow Breast Pump simplify the process for you. Their breast pump specialists are experts at determining the full extent of benefits provided to you through your insurance plan. Once you fill out their qualifying form, then a dedicated specialist will verify your coverage and contact you in three to five days or sooner to discuss your options and help you select the breast pump that fits your needs. They offer a wide selection of pumps from top manufacturers like Hygieia, Evenflow, Spectra, Amida, and more. Aeroflow will take it from there, contacting your physician for a prescription, billing your insurance for the breast pump, and then shipping your breast pump to your door for free. Easy peasy, so you can focus your time on doing other more fun baby prep stuff. I was looking through the reviews on their website and was quite impressed. They have over 4,000 reviews and still get an average of 5 stars. Here's what one of the verified buyers had to say. Quote, Aeroflow made this process super easy. I filled out the information online, got a confirmation email that same day, and received the pump and package the next day. I highly recommend it. End quote. Learn more at aeroflowbreastpumps.com slash birthful. And don't forget to add the slash birthful part so they know who got you there. And we're back. So, yeah, thunderstorms, there it is, and and birds. Um, and then your doula. You called your doula at 11. Yes, it was 11 so, p.m., so it's it's pretty much been like 24 hours now that your yes, water's broken. Yes, it's been pretty much exactly 24 hours. So she comes over. I'm on the birth ball. I'm listening to Hypno Babies, which I also highly recommend. I love Hypno Babies. My mom still kind of quotes it and makes fun of it. The 20 minutes will feel like five minutes. But it is really calming. So I was really calm. I was uh, I had my tush on the the birth ball and I was leaning over pillows and uh, Emily came in and then that was Chris's sign that he was allowed to go sleep. Actually, the first thing I had Emily do when she got there was to give him a neck rub because he keeps all of his tension in his neck and he was getting a headache. Mm. So she rubbed his back. I'm the one in labor. Doodles <laughs> are not just for laboring mamas. <laughs> Yeah, so she rubs his back, then he goes and goes to take a nap, and she rubs my back. I had some essential oil mixtures that I had made, um, one that was for pain relief that was wonderful. It had mire and frankincense in it, I think some lavender, and she's rubbing that into my back, rubbing pressure points. It was wonderful. And if I was in pain before she got there, when she did that, it just... it. It took everything down a notch. Not that it took it down. Not that I felt the contractions were less uh, effective, but mm -hmm. I just felt so much calmer. Like, I, okay, now I got a second wind. I can do this. I have Emily. Everything's great. Everything's going as it should. Perfect. <laughs> 
my mom was kind of just hanging out. She was snoozing a little bit. She was just staring at me <laughs> and, you know, helping where she could if I needed water or a snack. Um, so having my mom there was great. And having Emily there was even better. <laughs> so around two in the morning, I the contraction started feeling much stronger. I was getting a little bit shaky. I was vocalizing more. I needed to go to the bathroom and it took me a while to get to the bathroom, which I remembered reading was a sign of like very active labor. And so I said, you know what? I think we should call my midwife. She should start making her way over here. Obviously as a first time mom, I don't actually know how dilated I am, but this feels like real. And mm-hmm. so they, Emily agreed. My mom more than agreed. <laughs> my mom was like, yes, get her here right now. And so Barbara got there around three, I guess. Maybe maybe my time is a little bit off. It might have been 2.30. Uh, and when she arrived, you know, during a contraction, I needed Emily to push on my back and um, I needed to maintain my relaxation using hypno babies but when the contraction ended I was just chatting oh hi Barbara I'm so glad you're here and she looked she said she looked at me I was like oh these first time moms obviously she called me too early and and so I'll check her but this is going to be disappointing for her so she checked me and I was six almost seven centimeters dilated that's not bad and yeah she said she was like wait really yeah. <laughs> and so um, when her assistant came in the door, she joked with her, go, oh, I checked her. How dilated do you think she is? Just looking at her, um, like giving her and I'm a disappointed look. And she was like, I don't know, is she three or four? And she's like, no, she's almost seven. Yay. <laughs> and um, this was on my bed. We had moved to the bed so she could check me. And I had like put my hands I was kind of with my butt in the air and my arms down on the bed. Mm -hmm. And I said to Emily, is this a bad position for me to be in? And she said, well, have you had a contraction since you put yourself in that position? And I said, no, I haven't. She said, well, then I would say that it's not a great position. And I said, yeah, I want to get labor going. I don't want to slow it down. Let's get up and move. Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah. So um, when she checked me in, I was almost seven centimeters. She said that I could get in the water, which we had filled the birth pool and you know everyone says how amazing the birth pool is I did not find it to be amazing it might be because Dahlia was breached and so she wasn't um her head you know obviously wasn't applying pressure to my cervix Mm -hmm. um it didn't relieve any sort of pressure or feel good really at all to be in the water it's a hit of like for a lot of people it's a wonderful tool but not everybody yeah no right my birth with sage I you know, once again, inflated the pool, kind of skeptical. This didn't help Adalia, but I mean, I'll inflate it. I already own it. And it was totally different. I loved mm-hmm. it. The mm-hmm. water was great with Sage. So, yeah, I think it's birth specific. Maybe it has to do with her, with Dahlia being breached. I don't really know. But I got into the water and I stayed in the water. You know, I guess I stayed in the water because I felt like this is what I should be doing. <laughs> like, everyone loves the water. I should stay in the water. I know. Um, we get yeah, into these ideas. So, yeah. Yeah, and so I was leaning over the side of the birth pool, holding on to my husband. He was so supportive, so wonderful. 
He was there for everything that I needed except when he needed to nap. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, Emily was putting pressure on my back. My mom was pouring water over my back, which wasn't really that helpful, but she needed to feel like she was doing something. (laughs) And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, how beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And my hypno babies was playing. That was the thing when I switched rooms, I kept saying, bring my hypno babies, bring my hypno babies. And they just thought I was nuts because I... I mean, it was just this, like, track playing over and over again in the background. So all of them were like, oh, the hypno baby. It was part of your ritual. Yeah, and yeah. I just, it felt really calming. I needed my hypno baby. There you go. And so um, then, so that was around 3.30, I guess. And, uh, you know, when you're in heavy labor, active labor, you don't, you're not at all aware of time. So I was vaguely aware that the sun had come up. And that everyone looked really tired. I kept looking around me at everyone with their coffee and just looking like, okay, this has been a really long night. You know, you know, they weren't they weren't going to say that to me, but I, they didn't have the same hormones that I had coursing through me, so they were really tired. And um, I said to my midwife, "It actually it feels a little bit less painful if I push a little. So can I push?" And she said, well, you can push, but I want to check you after this contraction. And so I leaned back in the water and she checked me and she said I was fully dilated um, and that I could start pushing. And I looked at the water, which at this point was just gross. (laughs) And I said, yeah, I don't want to have a baby in this water. So I want to get out of the pool. And um, so it took numerous people to help me get out of the water I first went to the toilet, um, I guess probably to pee and just to have a few contractions on the toilet. And I, I didn't, I didn't love it mostly because I couldn't have that many support people around me. I couldn't have my husband behind me. It just felt kind of like I felt too alone being on the toilet. Mm -hmm. And so my midwife said, if I liked the feeling of the toilet, but not being in the bathroom that we could move to the birth stool in my bedroom. And so that's what we did. Uh, so we moved me and my hypno babies <laughs> to the, to my bedroom. And my husband was behind me. He was on the bed and I was kind of leaning against the bed on the side and my midwife and her birth assistant and Emily and my mom were kind of surrounding me in front of me. You're holding court. Yes, it was, but it felt so supportive, yeah. so, so perfect. Every time a contraction would hit, which also being a first time mom, I had no idea what pushing would feel like. And I think every baby, it's totally different. And maybe also it has to do with her being breech, but um, it wasn't like a pressure that I felt like her head was right there because obviously it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So it was like this intense pain of me having to push her down and essentially push her head down which was still like the highest part of her right so it was very very painful and intense like when uh, I felt a contraction coming it was just a wave of pure pain and an uncontrollable need to push as hard as anyone could ever push and so but it wasn't really making progress Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, also because it's normal with a first time mom for you to push for a few hours. So 
I wasn't sure if I was pushing for too long, if my midwife was concerned, if people were starting to think it was because she was breached. But I glanced at my midwife and she just looked really calm. This is normal. You know, if you want to change positions, let's change positions. And her birth assistant said that uh, I should try doing lunges. Mm -hmm. And I looked at her like she was crazy. (laughs) You want me to stand up when I'm in this amount of pain and push through a contraction in a lunge? So I just said, no, that's not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. That's not a thing I'm going to do. <laughs> and so she said, okay, well, how about if we get you on the bed? And so I got up on the bed and they checked Dahlia's heart rate and it was elevated. It was in the one eighties. Mm-hmm. And so they wanted me to not push through a few contractions, which I, I thought I was being sly at the time, like still pushing, but only like pushing so that I didn't make any noise. I thought maybe they wouldn't notice that I was still pushing because I couldn't not push. Right. Um, but it, it was enough for her heart rate to go back to normal. And so then I I laid down on my side with one, my husband held one leg in the air, which essentially was a lunge, made the birth assistant really happy and also made me really happy that I wasn't standing doing a lunge and once I got into that position I immediately had a huge contraction and her butt was delivered so I think really it's that I needed to do the lunge like they said and that's really common with breech babies for them to be at a slight angle and that you have to kind of shift your pelvis to fit their hips through and their their legs, you know, their their head isn't engaged, so they need kind of that like wiggle mm-hmm. to to fit their bodies through. And so her her butt was delivered, and then her legs popped out one at a time, and then she pooped and peed. <laughs> <laughs> and so I stayed in that position long enough for them to clean up the mess that she had made (laughs) Mm -hmm. um you know they had the pads under me but they wanted to change them out and everything and so after that was all cleaned up her torso came out and then they flipped me onto my hands and knees I literally I didn't help with this flipping I, I I mean as a person I'm not a small person I'm tall and kind of average build I to feel like weightless is really interesting, but all of these people just flipped me over without me having to engage any muscles to help. How lovely! That sounds great. <laughs> it was really, it, yeah, it was really funny, like really a weird feeling. But so um, they put me on my hands and knees, and then Dahlia was kind of dangling with her torso out, her head coming down, and um, her arms popped out, and then. On the next contraction, I pushed as hard as I possibly could, and her head came out. And it was entirely uneventful. It makes it sound like it took a while, but I think from her butt coming out to her head coming out was maybe two minutes. Mm -hmm. So she wasn't stuck at all. But, you know, there was that element of anxiety, of fear in the room, because now this breech baby has been born. Is she okay? And she was not crying. She was kind of gray, like not, she wasn't pinking up at all and she wasn't crying and she wasn't breathing. Mm-hmm. So to my midwife, that seemed 
concerning. She wants a baby to pink up when agitated and to take a breath. Obviously, Dahlia wasn't participating in any of that. <laughs> so she's um, suctioned out her throat. She still didn't cry. She did it again. She still didn't cry. She tried pissing her off, you know, whatever. She scratched her feet or whatever, and she didn't cry. And so she started giving her oxygen, and then she took a breath and started crying. And my midwife, after the fact, in retrospect, said, apologized. She said, I don't think she needed oxygen. I think I was just getting a little bit scared. And I said, you know, it's fine that you gave my baby oxygen. That's what she breathes. You know, I don't have any issue with the fact that you gave her oxygen and it got her going and then she pinked up, but still she wasn't really a crier. She mm -hmm. just looked at us like, what just happened? <laughs> Who are all these people? She just looked around the room, the entire room, like, what? What? <laughs> um, but no tears. And so then um, my midwife had me lay back down. And I think it was maybe 20 minutes later that the placenta started to detach. So she like gave it a little bit of a tug and it came loose perfectly. The placenta was enormous, which with Sage also, the ultrasound tech said that the placenta was measuring large. Like, that's okay. She'll just get more nutrients from me. I don't really mind it being a large placenta, but it weighed two and a half pounds. Wow. So it was big. Uh, we didn't actually weigh it with Sage, but similarly, it was very large. And so um, Chris, my husband, held Dahlia while I birthed the placenta because I it, it was kind of painful. I just felt like I didn't really want to be holding a baby at that point. And we hadn't done like a birth crawl or anything like that. I think just because of the, the kind of the craziness of when she was first born and wanting to get her pink and everything. And so I just told him, you can hold her until I'm like cleaned up a little bit. <laughs> and we had her latch then, like after the placenta came out, but still she was really sleepy. She wasn't really, she didn't want to breastfeed. So I gave her back to my husband and then um, my midwife checked me and she said I had just a small skid mark, like not even something that she would put a stitch in. Mm -hmm. And then she told me that I could go shower, which, you know, everyone tells you that how much you bleed when, a, when you give birth, but I just didn't realize that there was going to be that much blood. And <laughs> so yeah, I stood it depends. <laughs> Yeah, but there, so I there is blood. I stood yeah. up. I stood up, and there was so much blood that I like. We had a set of sheets, and then underneath that, we had the protective mattress, you know, the plastic mm -hmm. covering kind of thing. And then underneath that, we had another set of sheets, you know, with this vision of like we could just take the top two layers off and then have the sheets underneath. But because of the plastic didn't go over the side, um, the second set of sheets got like bloody, which, you know, mm. my midwife said is like totally fine, but it was just more blood than I realized was going to come out of me. And in the shower too, I was just like, you guys sure everything is okay here. <laughs> They're like, yep, yep. You're fine. Which I, I totally was fine. Um, and then I, you know, put on the, the, what do you call it? The mesh underwear and situated myself on the couch holding Dahlia. Um, and then we, saying happy birthday and had cake and coffee Aww. and 
I guess I think there were bagels, some food, and then everyone just left. I went I went to the bathroom again because I wanted to. I think I needed to pee or something, and it was so anticlimactic. Everyone was just like, "All right, we're gonna get going." I'm like, wait, can you just wait for me to come out of the bathroom so I can say bye? <laughs> <laughs> like, it, you know, it just was really, her birth was just so perfect and simple. N- you know, nothing went wrong, nothing, mm-hmm. n- nothing that we feared, you know. But I understand that things can go wrong with a breach delivery, but things can go wrong with any sort of delivery, there are hospital transfers for a new number of reasons. And I was lucky that nothing went wrong. And I was lucky that my, my new wife finally got on board with my birthing plan. Hmm. Oh, but one thing that I wanted to, that I forgot to mention was that she, my midwife had agreed to attend, say, um, sorry, Dahlia's birth as long as she had this other local midwife with her and in the end that midwife was at another birth and couldn't be there so it did end up just being my midwife and her birth assistant and my doula and my mom and my husband which is what I envisioned from the beginning and was totally fine and like I said my husband jokes that my midwife didn't have to put down her coffee because I gave birth to that baby (laughs) she didn't have to maneuver her or you know, they maneuvered me a little bit with the lunge and with putting me on my hands and knees, but I gave birth to that baby. Yeah, yeah, you sure did. That is a beautiful <laughs> story. And I am glad everything went, you know, physiologically smooth and yes. as such. Um, that, like you said, there's many reasons why there can be a transport and things can go wrong, but the the reality is it's not always the case and it's actually more often it goes right than it goes wrong um and back to the whole point that the only person who can make the decision of what your risk tolerance is is yourself right which is that is you should say that again because (laughs) that is exactly how it should be and i had to i had to pull out all of the stops on all of the ways that i am relentless to have that be my reality. I think that it is absurd. It is beyond absurd that medical professionals aren't trained on breach deliveries in our country anymore. Uh, I, I mean, I would say our country, but there are some patches of places where doctors or midwives uh, are comfortable with breach birth. And now my own midwife, who's based in Brooklyn, is comfortable with breach birth. She said that I shouldn't, I shouldn't tell too many people about her because she doesn't want to become the breach midwife. We won't tell people, (laughs) (laughs) but um, she is certainly comfortable with it now. And now it's a different conversation when one of her patients, which has happened since Dahlia's birth, when one of her patients has a breech baby, the conversation is your baby's breech. We're going to try everything humanly possible to flip her. And then you can make a decision if you would, feel more comfortable scheduling a C-section or if you would like to continue with your home birth plan. Awesome. Jessica, what time was she born? She was born at 7.15 in the morning on the Monday. So my water broke Saturday night at 11.45 and she was born Monday morning at 7.15. Right. And And I was... Uh, yeah, I was keeping some notes, and you said that when your midwife first showed up, it was like three-ish in the morning. Yes, so, so it was four hours. Yeah. 
So, yeah, so she said I called at the perfect time that I, you know, I was very in tune with my body, which I think is women should always trust their own instincts and their own bodies. Even with Sage's birth, my mom had come down the weekend before. She was born on a Tuesday, uh, Tuesday evening. My mom had come down that weekend before, and I said, you really shouldn't leave because I'm planning on having this baby this week. And she said, that's, come on, you're not even 37 weeks pregnant yet. You have at least another few weeks. This baby's going to be a February baby, not a January baby. And I said, no, I, I really, I really think you shouldn't leave. But she left. And my midwife came over for an appointment on that Monday. And I told her, I'm planning on having this baby tomorrow. And she said, okay, well, you'll be 37 weeks. And so that's fine with me if that's what happens. But also you should be prepared for going a few more weeks. And that, you know, it's exactly what happened. My, she was born on that Tuesday. My parents had to drive back down in a snow, sleet, rain, Mm. hail, ice Mm. storm. And I told my mom, it's your fault because I told you not to go. (laughs) (laughs) I told you so. To get back to me because (laughs) I knew that this baby was coming and I had been having, you know, sort of uh, prodromal labor, nothing, no contractions that made me stop or or breathe through them, but just things that I would label as contractions. Mm -hmm. And I just knew that that I was going to have this baby soon. And the same thing with Dahlia. I knew that she was not going to go to full term. And that was one of my anxieties that I just needed to have my birth plan settled so that my body could do what it needed to do. Yeah. No, and I so appreciate you coming on the show to tell us your story and just sharing a different aspect of birth that, as you said, we're, we're kind of scared of and it isn't being done more. But there is there is a, a certain awareness coming around lately. And, you know, a couple of years ago in Canada, they started be introducing it back in in medical school and there are some doctors in the west coast that are doing a lot of a lot of um looking more into it and trying to really assess the risk and and start bringing it back um and i know that you had we both talked about the movie heads up which is yes yeah so you want to tell us more about that Yes, when I heard that a movie was being made uh, in California by a chiropractor based in Los Angeles about the how breach is actually just a variation of the normal and look at these famous people who are willing to have breach births or fight for a breach birth. Um, and they had a go, not, not, what do you call it? Not a GoFundMe, um, a Kickstarter. A Kickstarter, yeah. They had a Kickstarter to raise money for making this documentary. And so my husband and I made a large donation to it. So our names are in the credits. Cool. Because and it's, it's Dr. It, Elliot Berlin is, I will give him a shout out because he's been on the show yes. before. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk oh, about wonderful. chiropractic and pregnancy. So I'll link to that also if people want to listen. Yeah, I sent a woman who sometimes on... In some of my mom groups on Facebook, people will tag me if someone mentions their baby being breached and then wanting to try to flip them because, you know, I kind of hold myself out there as someone who would love to talk about it and help. And so I talked to a woman who is happened to be in Los Angeles and I told her, you need to go see Dr. Berlin. And so when she went to see him, she said, this woman who's apparently your biggest fan, but doesn't know you, told me I needed to come see you. 
and he but he saw her immediately you know he seems like he's a superstar that would be hard to get an appointment with but I think she said he even came in early in the morning to see her so you know these people are reachable and want to help he's not some superstar who's you know he still wants to help everybody that he possibly can and also um along with making a donation to the documentary uh we my husband and I made a donation to an organization called Choices in Childbirth, which is based in New York City, and they're an advocacy and education group. They uh, advocate in the New York State legislature and beyond for changes to maternal policies, such as uh, extending the use of birth centers across New York State and uh, legalizing uh, midwives, the, the, there was a bill a while ago to ban CNMs from practicing without a cooperation agreement with a doctor. And so they advocated against that, why that would be a terrible idea, which it is. And um, they also have education classes in New York City for things about how to have a great hospital birth, how to have a wonderful home birth, how to have a great C-section, uh, every type of birth just to inform women so that women can make their own choices. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you know, the organization is choices in childbirth. So um, I still volunteer with them. I'm planning on joining their board. I just haven't actually taken that plunge yet, but I fully support all of the work that they do. And I, you know, once I have time, once I no longer have an infant, I would love to get more involved with their organization and maybe even advocate more about breach since mm. that's my area. And when I've met with the women from Choices in Childbirth, I've met them at different events I've gone to. And I say that my daughter was a breach delivery at home and they say, that's amazing. That's outstanding. And I say, it shouldn't be. Right. That shouldn't be what you say. It should just be a variation of the normal and that you say, maybe good for you or congratulations or that sounds wonderful, but it shouldn't be amazing and outstanding. You know, I want it to be normal. That's that's what I want. I want it to just be normal. Well, and and have the choice be put back on the mom. And like we talked about, you know, there you assessing your own risk tolerance and what the choice is right for you. Not have it be the fact that, you know, if by chance your baby is breached, boom, that's automatically you're going right. to the OR. That's right. I find the the what's really sad. Right. It's terrible. And. I mean, this is, you know, this is just kind of like a side note about the ECV that that was a terrible experience to do in the hospital. The uh, hospital staff was so heartless. And Mm. when the ECV failed, the nurse said, well, see you for your C-section. Don't forget to schedule it. Even though I was in tears, you know, it was it was heartless. It was it, it was a terrible experience in that hospital. And I think that it might be something particular to large cities. They have these huge hospitals where you really are just, they don't really know you. They don't really care about you personally because my care with Sage, um, I did the ultrasounds at Greenwich hospital in Connecticut and their OBs. A lot of them are high risk doctors just happen to be high risk doctors there. And they were fully supportive of my home birth plan. They were so kind and helpful. The day that Sage was born, we thought she might be breached, which she never was, and she wasn't then either. 
but um, we thought she might have been breached. And so I went for an ultrasound the day that she was born. And they were, they fit me in. Not only they couldn't fit me in to get an ultrasound in the maternal ward. So they had me go to another part of the hospital for an ultrasound that they made a special arrangement for me. So... And you know, it is. It is so important. Like, like, it does matter how you are treated. And it does matter yes. the courtesy and just the thought. And, you know, I'm really mm -hmm. sorry you had that experience with the ECV, especially considering that you have white coat hypertension. So already right. that's a difficult position for you just to step into that hospital. Um, right. Yeah, it's not always that way, obviously, and, and, and it depends on the provider. And I, I was lucky to have a really great experience. But yeah, it, it, that, it goes back to who's there for you really makes a difference. Right. Yeah. Thank you so, so much again. I am very happy that you had this experience and that you've, that since then, have had a vaginal, a, a, a heads down experience right. right so you you can compare the two um and yeah thanks for sharing i really appreciate this opportunity not just to share my birth story but uh you know to talk about my advocacy work and i you know if if listeners hear this podcast and just take away that if their babies breach it shouldn't be just an automatic c-section it should be their choice then that's really that's really what i'm trying to just get across it should be Everything should always be the mother's choice. Indeed. Thank you so, so yeah. much. And we'll add all those links to the, if they want to know more, we'll put them in the show notes. And also your gallery of pictures. So if you want to see Jessica baking her cookies, then, <laughs> and, and also having a baby, right? Yes. <laughs> Go check them out. Thank you so much, Jessica. Thank you so much. Mighty Ones, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages and more. I'm also on Facebook or Twitter as at birthful. So come say hi. And if you're pregnant, don't forget to go check out my Thrive With Your Newborn postpartum preparation classes at birthfulcourses.com. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you, the Birthful Patreon supporters, and by the wonderful people at Reverie Power Beds and Aeroflow Breast Pumps. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another mighty mama about her birth story or stories here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, mighty one. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.